The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to the Chris and Joe Show presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe Delio, joined by Chris Plum, and we are continuing our off-season discussions for the New York Giants. Today we have... Jason Garrett joining the Giants coaching staff as the offensive coordinator. We will be discussing that as well as continuing on our next positional breakdown, that being the offensive line. But first up, Jason Garrett, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, will now be the offensive coordinator, the play caller for the New York Giants offense. And there were a lot of mixed feelings for this decision. Chris, how are you feeling about this decision? Because, again, we were a bit up in the air on if we thought this would be a smart thing for the Giants. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of still there. I absolutely understand they're wanting to have an experienced former head coach there for Joe Judge to lean on because you know, he doesn't have any head coaching at any any head coaching experience at any level, college or the NFL. And as a special teams coordinator, he doesn't have that same kind of experience running a lot of snaps for a unit, either offensive or defensive. I can absolutely understand the Giants wanting to have an experienced hand hand there, somebody who he can lean on, get advice from, use as a sounding board, all that sort of thing. I think we will just kind of have to wait and see whether or not Jason Garrett is the right guy to be that steady hand and experienced coach. As I'm sure pretty much everybody has seen, Jason Garrett runs an air choreal offense, which is basically a vertical passing game and a power running game. He did deviate from that a little bit in Dallas. Like Dallas used a lot of zone running because they had a very athletic offensive line as well as a very good offensive line. You know, obviously zone running does work well with Saquon Barkley, but the Giants offensive line is not the Dallas offensive line. Also with the vertical passing game, it always needs that one number one X receiver to really set everything off. And the Giants just don't have that guy right now. So it will be interesting to see how everything comes together, whether or not he changes his tendencies from what we've seen over the last decade plus, you know, stretching back to when he was Dallas's offensive coordinator. And it will also really be interesting to see how the dynamic between Garrett and Judge develops. The thought process of trying to bring in 
an offensive coordinator that has that head coaching experience does make sense. And I can fully understand what ownership's mentality was in saying to judge, Hey, we need to bring in at least one person that you can use as that type of a resource. I can fully understand that. I just don't know if Jason Garrett was really the, the, the right guy for that circumstance. He was a head coach for a very, very long time. And one thing that I think some people might not consider is someone that was a head coach for an extended period of time with a, a big franchise might be butting heads with the current head coach that they're under. So we can't really guarantee that that's going to be a smooth relationship. And I don't even fully know if, if that was a guy that Joe judge really, really wanted as his offensive coordinator. Now, in terms of him being a play caller, well, Previously, as an offensive coordinator, he was good, and then eventually he had a, a, a long string of years where the Cowboys' offense was doing well, but he did eventually pass that role off for very good reasoning. He hasn't called plays in a while, and I really don't know what to expect because it has been multiple years, and then even as a head coach, the Cowboys' offense has declined in various aspects, especially in the passing game. And I think that was one of their biggest issues and why they weren't able to win football games this past season. So I think they need to be a bit careful with this. But the one thing I will say, and I will at least give Jason Garrett the benefit of the doubt, we don't know for sure if he's going to be hit or miss. But I will say this was a bit risky because it could either be a huge offensive explosion for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, or it could overcomplicate things and not really work out that well systematically. It might not be the right fit and they might be hiring a new offensive coordinator in a year or two if things don't really line up well. I'm going to at least wait and see what happens because there is a good shot that this does work out and I will be proven wrong. I'm that type of person that I will at least give it some time before I make a, a, a precise decision. But at the moment, that is my gut reaction that it might might have not been the, the, the right exact fit for the offensive coordinator role. Yeah, and I think it's kind of interesting that you pointed out that it it does carry a certain amount of risk with it. I, I think one of the problems that Dallas has had and what really led to their meltdown this year, because when they started the season, they looked like one of the two or three, okay, maybe four best teams in the NFL. And then just over the course of the year, they just they just melted down. And I think a big problem for that was coaches, coordinators, position coaches, butting heads and not having, you know, really clear power structure in the coaching staff. You had uh, Rod Marinelli being the architect of the defense, but then Chris Richard running the defense. And so, you know, who is really in charge on game day? You had Jason Garrett basically running the offensive side of the ball in addition to being a head coach, but you also had Kellen Moore calling the plays. And over the course of the year, you could kind of see their offense go back and forth between uh, more modern and deceptive and innovative and a little bit more venerable, we'll say. And so it seemed like you could kind of see a little bit of a push and pull between Moore and Garrett. So I think there definitely is some risk there if the if judge doesn't establish early on what the power structure is like, where the lines are and who answers to who. But I also think this was kind of a stereotypically giant safe hire in that they know Jason Garrett extremely well. He used to be a giant. They signed him as a backup quarterback back in, I believe it was 2000. 
and they have been coaching and playing against him since 2007. So in our roundtable on this, I I said, you know, basically short of bringing back Kevin Gilbride or retaining Pat Shermer as offensive coordinator, there is nobody the Giants could have hired that they would have been more familiar with. So it's kind of an interesting balance, I suppose, between having that potential risk of things going wrong, but also being potentially the safest hire they could possibly make. All right, let's transition into our discussion on offensive line for the New York Giants. As we've been doing with these positional previews or breakdowns, rather, first thing up is what we really liked from the offensive line. And I think one of the things that is is clear and understandably was up and down for the Giants offensive line at these particular spots that the guard position for the Giants is very clear that it's locked in, that they have their two guys in Will Hernandez and Kevin Zeitler. And I know a lot of people were arguing that Will Hernandez took a bit of a step backward from his rookie season into his second season. And then also Kevin Zeitler had some injury issues, but still I think both of these guys are talented enough that they can stay and, and be very, very good, especially Zeitler. But if you bring in the right offensive line coach, Will Hernandez's development continue to can 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 continue to improve and step forward, and he can continue to become a really good player. Yeah, and I, I think that is absolutely it. The Giants are set at the guard position. Yeah, they have invested heavily in Kevin Zeitler, so he's not going anywhere. Yeah, unless injuries for some reason re- start to stack up and do become a consistent problem. Yeah, he is going to be at the very least, a good starting guard for the remainder of his contract. And Will Hernandez is a good left guard. He did take some steps back or perhaps maybe didn't develop the way I think a lot of people hoped in his second season, but hopefully the Giants will get a better offensive line coach. There are some really good ones on the market right now. So I think getting the right guy there and teaching them and continually working on their technique, their all of the little things that make up the art of playing offensive line, I think that will go a long way to getting Zeitler back to the form we have seen from him throughout his career and really getting Hernandez on track and maybe making that jump in his third year. The one thing we didn't work into our offseason plan for the offensive line that I think is worth bringing up and you you unintentionally touched on it is that the Giants I think need to prioritize bringing in the best possible offensive line coach because that's very very important right now because the Giants over the past few years have had issues with the offensive line that have been so glaring and blatant bringing in older guys that haven't worked out well drafting guys that haven't developed properly and ended up leaving i.e. Eric Flowers they need that right guy because it sets the tempo for the whole team on how things are played at the line of scrimmage. So like you said, there's a lot of really good candidates out there. They need to make the right decision. It shouldn't be a matter of, hey, let's bring in the guy that we're the most familiar with or the guy that Joe Judge really likes and has worked with. It needs to be, hey, we need to go get the most qualified guy that is out there on the market or someone that is up and coming that was an offensive line assistant. I think another thing, too, is that there's a lot of really good college offensive line coaches that are under the radar that are 
potentially available and that could be a good option for them. And I think that one also offensive line coach that should be looked at that I don't I haven't even heard any conversations of is that the the, the Bears recently fired their offensive line coach Henry Heisted. I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly and I understand that sounds odd like why would you go hire someone that they fired? But he was, if you didn't know this, the offensive line coach at Notre Dame when Quinn Nelson, Ronnie Stanley, and Zach Martin were all at Notre Dame. So those guys were all, all pros this year. So I would I would honestly bring him in for an interview. I don't know if they have or have any intention to, but someone like him needs to be brought in for in for an interview. This needs to be a priority for them in filling that that uh that offensive line coaching vacancy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are really a few guys out there who are really good teachers of the offensive line. Uh, Harry Heisten was a guy, I, I don't think anybody really expected him to hit the market as an offensive line coach. The Bears have had issues on their offense over the last few years, but they their offensive line hasn't really been one of them. You know, a guy like uh, Heisten, uh, Bill Callahan, there are some really good teachers of the offensive line position and the Giants need to get one of them in there. Yeah. I think one of the biggest competitive advantages the New England Patriots have enjoyed is Dante Scarnecchia and his ability to just take people, players nobody had ever really even heard of, guys who were afterthoughts on other teams and turn them into all pros and just able to set up an offensive line factory in New England, which meant they never had to invest heavily. They never had to had to sink big free agent money into a left tackle or draft a guard highly. They could take guys who might have a lot of promising traits, but also a few warts and trust Skarnekia to smooth out the warts, highlight the, the positive traits, and come up with a winning offensive line. That's something I think the Giants really need to invest in because they have invested highly in their offensive line and not just in the, over the last two years. They have drafted a lot of offensive linemen pretty highly. They've signed more than a few big free agents. And really for the life of the current CBA, which is about to expire, they have just not gotten their money back on their investments in the offensive line. And it has consistently held this team back. Easily the most underrated position on your coaching staff has to be your offensive line coach. So they need to do their due diligence in making sure they bring in the exact right person. There can't be any ifs, ands, or buts, any exceptions to the rules. It has to be the right person because it's been such an issue for the Giants in the past few coaching staffs and for a very long time now. Going back to what we were discussing, though, the other thing we really liked in 2019 from the offensive line was Nick Gates, who stepped in for a couple different injured players, and he played a couple of different spots along the offensive line, and frankly, he looked really good. He looked a lot better than I think a lot of us expected. I think the understanding of Gates was, oh, he's a backup guy, you can plug him in there, he'll do okay, they have starters that are struggling he's not really that much better than them but he came in and he looked serviceable at right tackle at guard wherever they needed to put him and I think that someone like Gates is worth building upon and working with maybe he does not turn into a starting tackle or guard for the Giants 
But continuing to develop that sixth rotational guy and keeping him around is very, very important. The best offensive lines in the league are not because they are talented from left tackle to right tackle across the board. They're talented because they can take that sixth guy and bring him in in sub packages or if there's an injury and it seems like nothing has changed. Yeah, and I think having that sixth guy who can play multiple positions, that gives you more flexibility with your roster on game days. And yet Nate Solder is over 30. Kevin Zeitler will be 30. He's dealt with injury issues. Solder's dealt with injury issues. We don't know what is going to happen with the right tackle position. Having a guy who who can come on and play competent football, not not be a wink a weak link that the defense can easily exploit. Yeah, maybe there are things in his game that once defenses get a look at the tape, they can exploit. But just coming on the field as a backup, he is absolutely worth keeping keeping around and developing. And who knows? Maybe the Giants do have a starter there. There doesn't need to be much analysis done for our first point that we did not like from the offensive line. And as you might expect, there's a lot of things we did not like from the offensive line because they underperformed. They started off the season, the first few games, looking pretty good. Saquon Barkley had two 100-yard rushing games. Eli Manning wasn't overly flustered, and we were praising them early on. We were talking them up and saying how good they were doing and outperforming our expectations, and then it was just downhill from there. This first negative is the fact that this offensive line allowed the third most quarterback pressures with 119. Now, they only allowed 43 sacks, which put them around middle of the pack or in the the back end of the sack-allowed rates of, uh, of NFL offensive lines. But that 119 quarterback pressures is a glaring number. That's a lot of times that your quarterback is seeing pressure from opposing defensive lines. That is something that is is unacceptable. And as much money has been spent and as many different guys have been put in on the offensive line, to still be at third worst in terms of that statistic is a big issue. I, I think the tackle positions in in particular, need to be addressed. You know, the, Nate Solder gave up, you know, probably twelve or thirteen sacks this year. I believe he was charted as giving up the most pressures of any tackle in the NFL. That is just not good enough for anyone. That wouldn't be good enough for a first-year rookie, let alone one of the highest-paid offensive tackles in the NFL. Granted, he was going through some things this year, so we, we don't want to be too hard on him. But the Giants just do need better play from their offensive line across the board. The last thing that we did not like from the offensive line, and this really paints the whole picture of why there were so many pressures and the glaring issues that we repetitively were discussing every breakdown of every game was that there were issues with slide protection and blitz pickup. Now, a little bit of that is coaching and it's also going on the hands of your center, and in this case, it was John Jalapio, who was having issues in proper slide protection and also identifying who should be picking up who when there are clear and pressing blitzing defenders coming. And it's not like it was uh, a, a tough to discern if there was an issue or not. There were plays where you'd see half of the offensive line slide one way, 
half of the offensive line slide the other, leaving a wide open gap. And the most specific one is against the Detroit Lions where Daniel Jones got clocked and inevitably threw the ball backwards, leading to a fumble and a Lions touchdown. So stuff like that just needs to be coached. They, they This is why they need to bring in the right offensive line coach because those things will be worked out. Those things will be completely nipped in the bud within the first few weeks of the season. Something like that should not be happening towards the middle of the year. Yeah, and I think even worse than the fact that they happened was the fact that they kept happening. And like you said, going straight through the middle and even cropping up at the end of the year. Part of that is the Giants' weakness at center. That is another hole they're going to have to fill going forwards. John Jalapio is a free agent coming off or who suffered an Achilles injury in the last game of the year. The Giants still have Spencer Pulley for two more seasons, but I, I think we've seen enough to say that he's not really an answer either. You know, I think getting an experienced center, a guy who is who definitely is a starter. You know, remember John Jalapio didn't play center until Brett Jones started teaching him how to snap last summer. So I think getting a an experienced center in there along with the right offensive line coach would go a long way towards helping the Giants pass protection issues. All right, now we're going to discuss the offseason plan for the offensive line. But before we do that, we're going to take a very short commercial break. For this position group, there are a lot of things that need to be done this offseason. We touched upon the issues with bringing in a new and very coveted offensive line coach and, and how key that is to resolving all of the issues and helping develop these young guys especially if they choose to bring in some young players along the offensive line. But the other thing that the other things rather that we need done by the giants to help shore up this offensive line is first draft a replacement center, somebody that they can develop into that, that soon to be starter draft somebody within that, the, the first three rounds, if possible to get that done. We discussed free agents that were available and there weren't really any names that excited either of us. So drafting someone is probably your best bet. And then the other thing here is signing or drafting an offensive tackle because Mike Remmers was okay, but he also struggled a lot at times. They need to have some young developmental talent at right tackle or potentially left tackle to replace Nate Solder. Yeah. In fact, I would say in short order, the Giants need young talent at both positions. Like like I said, Nate Solder was going through some things, especially with his son and his and the battle against cancer this year. But he has just since the Giants have signed him, he really has not lived up to his contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he's given up pro- close to or perhaps even more than 20 sacks in just 2 years. And pass protection has been really a consistent problem for the Giants over the last two years, you know, even more so than it was in previous seasons before the line got blown up. And also, Solder is, you know, he's not a young guy anymore. He's he's 31. He's not going to be getting any younger. And he is expensive, costing just, or sorry, costing $40 million over the next two years. So I would say the Giants need to explore at least getting a replacement left tackle for him, getting a long-term right tackle 
and looking at the center position. The other thing, too, is that they have all of these pieces that have not really lived up to their potential. And I think that a decision needs to be made in moving on from at least one person that is not really fitting the bill of what they were expected. It's going to be tough to move Nate Solder, and and maybe it wouldn't hurt to keep him around to help develop any of those younger guys that come in and at least let him play out the rest of his contract. But Mike Remmers is an unrestricted free agent. I don't think there's much of a need to bring him back and allow him to come back. I don't think he proved he is the guy at the right tackle position. I think they're better off drafting someone in the first two rounds. And then the other thing is Jalapio, if they want to keep him around. But it's worth noting that he is pretty cheap considering the fact that he's not even earning a million dollars on his annual salary. But the the one thing, and we discussed Spencer Pulley, is that he's the expensive one. He's the one that is making more money than Jalapio, and right now he's the backup center that isn't even contributing. So... Maybe it's moving on from Jalapio, but if he's so cheap just to keep him around as a restricted free agent, Spencer Pulley might be the smarter player to cut. Yeah, yeah. I was actually surprised going back and looking at it. I, I remember being surprised at the contract the Giants signed Pulley to last year, but going back and looking at it, they signed him to a three-year, $8 million contract. The good news looking at that is they can move on from him without any dead money and pick up about $5 million in cap space. So I think that is really almost a no-brainer move at this point. I think the only question would be if they think Jalapio would be healthy enough to either compete for the center job this summer or even just to be a backup this summer. Because like you said, he is very, very inexpensive. This year he played on a $645,000 contract and he is a restricted free agent, but you know, considering he did injure his Achilles in week 17, the Giants could probably sign him to a to another veteran minimum deal and keep him for a million dollars or less. So now it's worth discussing who are the potential guys that they could be bringing in. And thankfully for the Giants, there's actually a decent crop of free agents and there's also a talented group of tackles in this year's draft. So as far as those free agents, the name's worth discussing. The first one, I think, that really pops off the page, and we've brought up his name multiple times, is Titans right tackle Jack Conklin, who previously, when he was being drafted, the conversations for the Giants in his draft year were about how they really wanted him. Eventually, though, the Titans, I believe, traded up and took him before the Giants could do so. They ended up going with Eli Apple, and that exactly didn't exactly work out. Now, Conklin's dealt with some injuries in his time with the Titans. He's fallen off a little bit since his all-pro year. But nonetheless, he's been a good right tackle. He's still young. They didn't sign him to the his fifth-year option. So they could potentially get him and coerce him into coming to the Giants. And then also Brian Balaga from the Green Bay Packers, if they could also convince him to leave, I think he is also a decent right tackle as well. Yeah, definitely. I I think Jack Conklin, assuming he hits the free agent market, should be a priority for the Giants. He fits, I think, what they want to do and what they want out of a right tackle. He's maybe not the prettiest lineman, but he is very tough. He's a good run blocker 
and he can get it done as a pass protector. And like you said, he's young. He would be entering his prime, which would be a really good thing to have for the Giants offensive line. And it would massively upgrade and immediately plug that hole at right tackle. I'm not sure about Brian Bulaga. That would be, he's another older player, another guy who has dealt with injuries. And the other name to really watch for the Giants would be Daryl Williams out of Carolina, just as a guy that Dave Gettleman knows. Daryl Williams, he's a big right tackle. He's a guy Dave Gettleman drafted as a fourth round back in 2015. So obviously he knows him. He liked him enough to draft him. He has been a good player for Carolina. And if he hits the free agent market, you know, he was only on a one-year deal. He could be a relatively inexpensive, although we have seen the numbers for both tackles kind of skyrocket over the last few years. But he could be a potentially inexpensive or not not super expensive option for the Giants on the offensive line. Now on to draft prospects that could potentially be a guy for the Giants for many years to come that they develop into a potential star. There's a lot of talent at the tackle position, but there's no really clear, perfect prospect. You need, they need to be smart in evaluating tackles here. There's a ton of good guys in the first round. There's also some later round players at the tackle position that could develop and improve and become consistent starters. And there's also some centers that are worth acknowledging. But I think right now the big three of offensive tackles in that top 15 range are Jedrick Wells from Alabama, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, and Andrew Thomas from Georgia. A lot of different outlets have them ranked in various levels. And a lot of different outlets have one above the other. So it, it, I don't really think right now there is a lock on Andrew Thomas being the only top 10 pick or being the first guy off the board. It could really slide and be any of the any of the three. We've seen rises and also falls from different guys at various positions that land in unexpected spots. But if I'm looking at this list and if the Giants do manage to pull off this trade back that we've discussed multiple times, I still think that they should be looking very closely at Tristan Wirfs, who is a right tackle. He's 6'5", 322 pounds. Just watching him, he seems a bit more complete than some of the other guys. Very, very good in uh, in blocking in the run. And then the, the other thing, too, that I like to see from Wirfs is that some of these guys don't really finish their blocks properly. And I really liked seeing from Wirfs that once the play is coming to an end and he sees this guy lose leverage, he finishes that block and puts him into the ground. That's a really good sign to me. That's the kind of traits that you want to be looking for in these offensive tackles. Yeah, definitely. And just to back up half a step, I I think there is honestly a an argument to be made for each one of Wills, Wirfs, and Thomas to be the OT1 in this draft class. I don't think there is a whole lot of separation between them. And I really don't think it matters that Wills and Wirfs were right tackles and Thomas is a left tackle because defenses have good pass rushers on both sides of the ball, you know, on both ends of their defensive front. You need a good left tackle and you need a good right tackle in the modern NFL. That Just getting away with investing in left tackle and you know letting right tackle be whatever, that doesn't work anymore. That just means you're going to have Von Miller coming after your quarterback instead of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. 
some of the best pass rushers in the NFL play on the offensive right. <clears throat> and I really think that whichever one each team has as their top guy will will really just depend on which one clicks with them, which one clicks with the offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, the head coach, which one they can see fitting a little bit better in their scheme. I, I'm with you. I like Tristan Wirfs. I like all of these guys, but I do like the way Wirfs really tries to finish his plays by just burying the defender. Andrew Thomas has a, you know, he's a wide body guy, but he is very springy in his movements. And Wills is just kind of a freak show out there at tackle. He is just, he is probably the freakiest athlete of the bunch. So I think if the Giants got one of them, they would have gotten an an upgrade for their, their offensive line and a player to feel good about. Now, the two centers that we brought up, and we've answered this question before because it ended up on the mailbag, but just to reiterate some of the names that look like the the two better ones and the best fits for the Giants are Tyler Biotis from Wisco and then also Lloyd Cushenberry III from LSU. Both good centers, both coming from big programs. Both seem very, very intelligent, which I think is a huge key. You want smart guys. You want guys that are going to pick up and notice all the the pre-snap movement from the defense and be efficient in doing all that stuff. Now, these aren't first-round lock picks. I think that you'll be able to get them in the second or third round so that you could see a little bit of a later round movement from both of these players. Yeah. I Of them, I think Biotis probably has the best chance to go in the first round. I think it'll either be him or Nick Harris out of Washington, who is the first center off the board. The only reason I kind of gravitate toward Biotis is, well, first, I really liked him last year. So there is kind of a pre-existing bias, but we, we push back against that. But also the Giants have a definite height weight speed filter at pretty much every position and Biotish and Cushenberry they're both bigger centers they're bigger more athletic guys Harris is a little bit smaller a little bit more compact he kind of depends more on his athleticism leverage positioning that sort of thing to make his blocks he's not going to physically dominate anybody the way that Biotish and Cushenberry can also, you mentioned that these guys are very smart players. They're also very nasty and aggressive players, which is a good thing to see. And something you don't always see from the center position. Sometimes they're better off working in conjunction with one of their guards and maybe not getting after guys quite as much. But these two guys, they get after it. The good thing for filling that center position and finding that developmental guy is that there's not as much of a demand to take them early. The players that are really sought after are the left and right tackles and also those big mauling guards like Quentin Nelson when they come around. But thankfully, you can still draft a guy in the second round and turn him into your starting center. We've seen that happen with multiple teams or later on in the first round if the Giants choose to trade back in, which they could very well do so, or if they trade back and pick up extra picks. There's a lot of things that could go into play here and then allow them to f- to find that developmental centerpiece. I think that the philosophy for fixing this offensive line needs to be that of the Atlanta Falcons in last year's draft where they took two offensive linemen and traded back in to take that second guy. So don't be afraid to take multiple offensive linemen. The more younger players 
to develop you have, the better. Because at the very least, if there's issues with them, you can at least say like, oh, he's still developing and growing. But if you're having issues with your veterans that you're signing and spending all this money with, well, it's at a point where you can't really fix much at that point. And it just looks all the more worse if those guys aren't clicking. You can at least give the younger guys a little bit more time to develop. Yeah, and also if you are spending cap dollars and not getting anything for it, that's taking away from resources you could be using to get production in other areas. Granted, not getting anything for a draft pick hurts as well, but at least that doesn't take up nearly as much of your free agent cap. So if you're going to invest cap money in the offensive line, you definitely need to get you need to get your money's worth for it. And you also need to get your money's worth for it sooner. You you just can't wait for guys who should already be producing, who should already be playing well to come around and redevelop. All right, that is going to be it from us in our discussion on the offensive line for today's show. Next, we'll be giving you a discussion on the Senior Bowl, so stay tuned for hopefully multiple conversations on the big names down in Mobile, Alabama. Be sure to follow us on social media at Big Blue View, at Joe DeLeon, and also at Raptor MKII. Also be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us. 